Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and today with me, as always, is... I'm Hoi Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at The Tracking Board. So it is once again time for our Millennial Monthly Movie Review. A little early this month because a pretty great movie just happened to come out at the very beginning of Dune and we couldn't wait to talk about it. The Mummy! (laughs) Yep, Willby, you are spot on. No, it is actually tragically not the start of Universal's new Dark Universe. It is instead the widely acclaimed and already beloved Wonder Woman. is the fourth film in Warner Brothers and DC's extended universe. It is the origin film for, of course, the titular Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot as the hero, and also starring Chris Pine, Robin Wright, Danny Houston, David Thewlis, Connie Nielsen, among several others wonderful cast members. It is directed by Patty Jenkins, the first female director in the current slate of superhero films. Yay! And the movie is a pretty basic origin story. It traces Diana's origins uh, from her time on Themyscira and then leaving and going out into the real world during World War One, with the intention of beating the bad guy Ares. So, what did you guys think of the movie overall? HD. So, I, I think it's been pretty documented that I love this movie. Um, I did a review with it of it for Slash Film last week, um, and I wrote a little spoiler review for Slash Film as well. Um, check it out. It is a comparison of Wonder Woman to uh, the classic Disney movie, uh, in particular the Disney Princess movie. Um, and I don't think that that um, belittles the movie in any way. I think that it is a wonderful origin movie that takes a sort of by-the-numbers story and makes it so inspiring and just like wonderful to behold it's for me it was a real I, I talked about this last week as well it was a real experience seeing a female character who was so complex and so compassionate without falling onto any tired stereotypes of the badass strong female character that I have railed against a lot and um, I really liked how it tested these sort of old, traditional earnest values and reaffirmed them in the end. And I think that's so rare in a superhero movie and in a blockbuster these days. It's such a hopeful, good, enjoyable movie. And I cried several times. And I love the message behind it. It isn't just a movie that is inspiring for the sake of, you know, having a female-led character and a female-led director it's inspiring for the message of hope that it chooses to convey and I think that's what sets Wonder Woman apart from a lot of other superhero movies out there Willoughby what did you think of Wonder Woman I loved the movie so much I have seen it twice now um and I loved it the second time even more because it was just you pick up on so many different little things 
a lot of character moments. The acting in this in the, these movie in this movie was phenomenal. I thought Gal Gadot was impeccable. Like from the moment she appeared on screen to the very last frame, like I was like enthralled with whatever she was doing on on the, on the silver screen, as well as whatever Chris Pine was doing, which like he was a, the perfect support for her. Um, and I just thought that the two of them were so, so much fun together and, you know, they had their push and pull, you know, he had one way of thinking about the world and, and she had one way and they kind of met in the middle at that, you know, by the end of it, they both learned and they grew from each other, but ultimately it was Diana's story and Steve was just there along for the ride and had his own little arc too, which was very cool. And I liked how everyone had had their own story and their own problems. And there's a line specifically in that about everyone's fighting their own battles. Um, I think the character of Samir says that line. Samir says that. Yeah, and it's a really it's it's a powerful line when you when he when he says it because it's in the it's right after they 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 finish saving a town and they're celebrating and you know he's joyous. But at the same time, like he's still world weary of the fact that they're still in the middle of a war. The war's not over, and for a lot of people, that war the war never ended for them mm-hmm. internally. So it was a really powerful. There's a lot of powerful messages that are very smallly, smallly shown, but the impact is bigger when you think about it. Um, and I just really loved, like HC said, the message of hope that this movie brought. I thought that it was a better Superman movie than either of those movies that featured Superman mm. that DC's done uh, since 2011. Like, I thought, you know, Wonder Woman is the, is the hero we need right now and deserve. Like, it's the, you know, it's so uplifting and, like, it's so fun to see all the women in the world like so excited for this movie like I took my girlfriend to see Wonder Woman for the first time like the first time I saw it she loved it she thought it was a perfect food perfect movie and then I took my mom to see it and she loved it too like it's so fun to see the reaction that this movie is getting yeah I think that this movie really was able to connect with a lot of people across like all ages and demographics, uh, which I think is sometimes rare for a superhero movie, despite their mass appeal. This one was really able to connect to people who weren't the usual superhero audience. Like women my mom, especially. She, mm-hmm. she does my my mom doesn't watch superhero movies. The last superhero movie she saw was Superman Returns, and mainly for Kevin Spacey. She's a big Kevin Spacey fan. So she saw that basically for his performance as Lex Luthor. And that was 11 years ago so it's been a while Mm -hmm. and and like she saw Kingsman but that was mainly for Colin Firth so like this movie had a great appeal to a lot of women and so I was really excited for that Mm. Anya what did you think of the movie (gasps) oh hi Jax he's barking that's why they're barking they're the barkiest dogs ever (laughs) You'll never get attacked. <coughs> yeah, because they think that people just like walking by our house are like threatening. Oh, I think they're good. 
I also really love this film for the reasons that you guys stated and every reason to love this film. It's exciting to have a female-led superhero film directed by a woman and to have it be as good as it was. You know, I keep... One of the things I keep saying is that no, it's not a perfect film, but the feelings that I had as a young woman watching it on the big screen are far more powerful and impacting than the flaws can be. So yeah, so I loved it for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we will dive into. Um, And I'm just so excited that it exists as it does and that it's making good money and that people can't stop talking about it. And I'm just so glad that it's, you know, just having the presence that it has right now. It deserves it. Yeah, so let's get into our review. Um, Like many of our past reviews, we will be diving into spoilers right away. But we're going to be dividing our um, review by structure, story, and themes. That's what we usually do. I always forget. Characters. Characters. Uh, Yeah. Structure, character, and themes. That's what we do. All right. Um, I think we can dive into structure first because that has that presents some of the biggest flaws for this movie. Yeah. Um, so let's go into that first. Um, so it's been a lot of the criticisms of this movie and the one that I have for it is that the first two acts are great and they go along swimmingly, but then the movie kind of falls apart in the third act and it basically becomes a, just a giant CGI slug fest, um, which is not, you know, which is not unexpected of a superhero movie. It's something that happens in every Marvel and DC superhero movie. You get a big, big climactic battle filled with a bunch of clones of things that you can punch, essentially. In this case, it wasn't a bunch of clones, but it was one big, um, swole David Thewlis. With a uh, porn stash like nobody else. <laughs> I don't know what the choices were into, like, his his look. They weren't great. My favorite part is when they show him being kicked out of or, you know, fallen to Earth after his big battle with his dad and Zeus. And he looks up and he's, so, you can tell that's not his body. It's a, bo- like, it's a body double that's, like, It's a body double. And then it, it, looks like, it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger like in the 70s with like long hair and then you look up and there's this like magical mustache just yeah, spread they have across his face but still having his mustache and then i'm like wait so like greek gods have like 70s facial hair like, what's <laughs> happening here so like no very strange very no. strange so the problem of this act is that it has to present a villain and what i really liked about wonder woman going up until this point was that there was no real villain for Diana to fight. So Diana goes into, she dives into war thinking that if she defeats Ares, the god of war, she will um, stop the great war, World War One, and uh, the humans will no longer be corrupted by its influence and everything will go back to being at peace. Yeah, but, it's a really black and white narrative. Yeah, she has a really black and white perspective of things, having been raised on Themyscira, which is um, a paradise island, and it's raised, it's 
populated by women who are warriors and who only um, act in extremes. They only see either everyone, everyone as inherently good or as in, inherently evil. And while that's not a bad way to view things, it's not a completely realistic way of viewing things. So when Diana gets exposed to the real world, she sees all these flaws that human people, humankind have, but also all the good in them that they have as well. So they're complex characters. And, you know, there's the whole fish out of water sequences where she's just so, like, naive and she doesn't know how the world works, but she's still so wise at the same time. But it really works for me because, you know, she is only faced with a way of life that she doesn't know. And um, while she's very, like, book-learned, she just doesn't understand the fact that humans can be complex and have moral grays, um, which is very prevalent in Steve Trevor, Chris Pine's character. Um, so what I really liked was this movie seemed to be going for this really interesting message that humankind is flawed, and there are both good and evil inside of them. And Diana has to cope with that and try to reconcile her beliefs with what she sees, her experiences, and realize that there's no big bad at the end. And I thought World War One was a good setting for that because, you know, it is a war that was basically started from a series of broken alliances and treaties. Um, unlike World War II, where you have one basically kind of a big bad, which is Hitler and the Nazis. You have the axis of evil. And the axis of evil, essentially, yeah. So I thought it would have been great if she just... If she, I, I didn't mind that Ares was a character exist, that existed, but if she met Ares and she realized that he was not a big corrupting influence, he was just kind of hanging there trying to do his thing, but just really existing. Um, I talked a little bit about this uh, last week when I was watching last week's episode of American Gods, and I thought that Wonder Woman's ending could have been really powerful if they went the route of depicting Ares as, as how gods are depicted in American Gods, sort of these um, no longer powerful, sort of redundant gods who have lost their influence on the world and are just kind of biding their time uh, as regular human beings almost. Like they have supernatural powers and they have a sort of influence, but they don't have quite the punch that they used to. And I thought that would have been really interesting because we could have seen Wonder Woman grappling with the fact that there is no big evil, but just the evil inside humankind. And that she didn't have anything to punch, but she would retain and come to the conclusion that humankind deserved her protection anyways. So that's my big thesis about Wonder Woman and what they missed instead of it just being me complaining about it being one big CGI slugfest. I think they missed something a little bit deeper than that. I totally agree with you. And I think to add on to that, specifically the moment where she kills Danny Houston... And, like, you think it's, like, oh, that's it. That's the end of it. You know, mm-hmm. Ares is done for or whatever. And then you're, like, no, he's not Ares. He's just some general who cooked up some bad poison along with his sidekick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the movie had just been sort of, like, that's that, and she has to go, like, stop the gas plane, mm-hmm. like, a la First Avenger, um, that would have been an interesting moment um, because it would have shown that it would have proved your thesis where it's like, there is no big bad Aries is just like 
a, some some dude who has some influence over the ba- over the bad guys, but like not a lot. Mm-hmm. So it would yeah. also kind of solve the whole fact that there was a World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder about that. I'm like, man, Diana's gonna be pissed when World War Two rolls around. <laughs> um, yeah, I personally don't mind that Ares M exists. Um, I I think a couple of my things. I think. Structure-wise, this movie is way too long. Um, this movie should have cut probably at least 20 minutes, maybe more. I also think most films these days are too long and that people need to rely on their editors more mm-hmm. because the editors are the unsung heroes of any storytelling format. And they Yay. save they save something from being good to like going to being great. Like If something's great, it's because of the editors. As an editor, that makes me very happy to hear. Yeah, it's why it's you know it's George Lucas and the Wachowskis need to rely on their editors more. Just look at um, the success of Mad Max Fury Road. The editor was had such a strong part in that, and you could tell. Yes, exactly. So I think Wonder Woman is too long, and some of these things I think go hand in hand with what you were saying, HT. Um, you know, and it's interesting because Patty Jenkins said in an interview recently that this movie has no deleted scenes. Mm, interesting. Like literally everything they shot is in the film. So she was like, we have no deleted scenes for the DVD. And I was like, that's bad. <laughs> you should have deleted scenes. Please cut some of this film. But like, I think like literally every other superhero film, except for Thor, this movie also struggles from having terrible villains in general, just across the board. The villains are boring and clunky. Um, Loki to date is still the only good villain on the big screen. Um, and I think one of the problems with this film is that the stuff with Dr. Poison and Danny Houston's character and the red herring of David Thewlis just didn't work. Mm. Because I think, first off, you immediately knew David Thewlis was a villain. Yeah. It was, like, really easy to call, like, the second he arrived, because he was too helpful. Um, and, like, too, like, I'm gonna keep an eye on everything. And so I think, you know, like, I think... That works because I like Diana trusting him so immediately because it shows how naive she is. Mm-hmm. I trusted how... him a lot. Oh, <laughs> I did. I was not. Ex- I I gasped. So the red herring worked him. for you. It read. It worked for me. It was a plot twist. Interesting. I yeah. I called that immediately. I was like, oh, that's Aries. For me, I immediate. I knew going into the movie that David Thewlis was Aries, which I was kind of disappointed in because I feel like. The I red herring, so. if I hadn't known it, would have kind of worked. I would have suspected something, but I don't think no, it, that, like... No, it works. Yeah. It works. Mm-hmm. It, I, I didn't... I, I went into this not checking cast lists or, you know, watching too many clips. I watched the trailers, but not, like, specific scenes and the clips that they release. And that helped my experience. I mean, to be fair, I didn't know he was Aries before I saw the movie. I figured it out while I was watching the movie. So mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about his character going into it. I didn't he just, even know he was in the he movie. Was, he was immediately suspicious to me. And I was like, oh, Danny Houston. Danny Houston was too dumb to be Aries. Mm-hmm. Like, watching him, I'm like, that's not a god. Yeah. And like, also, that is, yeah. that's a dumb mortal. So, like, I knew David Mills was going to be kind of, like, the intelligence behind it. And, like, that kind of figure behind the scenes. And I liked him because, again, I like that it shows how naive Diana is. She's coming into this world and she sees someone, she sees all of um, 
Steve's, like, general's, like, immediately shooting down his idea, and she gets really frustrated with them, and Davy Felix is the only one who speaks up, and the only one who preaches peace, and so, like, she trusts him very immediately, mm-hmm. and so the idea of her kind of, like, putting faith in him blindly shows kind of Diana's um, innocence in not, kind of not dealing in a gray, like, a uh, morality, mm-hmm. like a gray morality, so I think it works that like you, she trusts him at first, and then he's a villain. But I think just overall, you know, you didn't need Danny Houston's character at all, and you could have just finessed that more to yeah. have a tighter so narrative. I didn't entirely mind um, Ludendorff and Doctor Poison the first time around. The second time around, they were a lot flatter, but I kind of enjoyed them for how schlocky and silly they were. I just felt like they lent to that old-timey, traditional vibe that Wonder Woman is going for. But uh, they don't really hold up. Like, as you were saying, they're really flat. And the red herring reveal... The the build-up to um, Ludendorff being the red herring was really weak. So, like... Yeah. That whole scene at the end where Diana's confronting him, and he's, like, spouting off... or. And during the gala, he's spouting off, like, stuff about the Greek gods. I'm like, this is really shoehorned in. Like, he doesn't know anything about the Greek gods. Why Very. is he just, like, randomly, like, making her believe more so? And, like, it, it was a very strange um, moment for me that definitely felt like bad writing. Um, it also seemed odd to me to kind of introduce Dr. Poison the way they did and mm-hmm. then never kind of follow through on her character. I think it would have been interesting if Dr. Poison was the only villain, uh, the only red herring villain, not Ludendorff. Agreed, agreed. I actually, for a second there, I almost thought that she was going to be Ares. Mm, that would have been interesting Which I thought would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more than anything, like, watching that film, I was like, oh, there are deleted scenes getting more into Dr. Poison. And then when I read there were none, I was like, oh, they just really didn't yeah. develop her at all. What is, what is worse, though, they had some fun scenes. Like, they were silly, and, like, they had that really fun scene when they gassed the um, German leaders meeting, and, like, they just giggled together, and I was like, I buy their relationship. I think they it's They were just fun. maniacally laughing. They were maniacally, like, yeah, like, just cackling, and I was like, oh, God, they're ridiculous, but funny. Um, that was when it really leaned into its, like, not hokiness, but, like, like you were talking about, like early, early cinema, in like they like, had the feel sim- of a silent film villain. Yeah, they were very. It was very much like they were serial serial villains. Cartoonish. Yeah, they were Moose and they were Boris and Natasha. Yep, essentially. Which, yeah, I didn't mind, but it doesn't really all fit together very well. I guess with the whole movie. Yeah, they didn't work for me personally, but. Mm-hmm. I just think villains in general are boring. Yeah. But I did think it was clever to have a red herring. Um, I don't know. I mean... It worked for me. It worked I think, for me. I think the red well. herring was smart. It was a different twist on the villain situation, I think. I think it could have worked if we didn't believe Ludendorff with Ares. Like, I think if the twist that, like, David Thewlis was Ares and, like, he was trying to help them, like... But you didn't have someone... I think a twist would have worked, but a red herring specifically did not work. Okay. Because, I see what you again, mean. 
I just don't think that they presented Ludendorff in a way that made it believable that he would be Ares. Mm-hmm. And which so, is, like, which well, is I, why I was thinking that there wouldn't be an actual Ares. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, he was just going to be some general that she just thinks is Ares. He, she she kills him, and then that's it. Yeah, and I, so that's what that's why I was really taken by seeing Lu- Professor Lupin on the at the general's office. I was yeah. like, really, I was like. <gasps> I'm with Willoughby on this. I think, for me, it felt more like the movie was inclining towards Diana thinking he was Ares, but the audience, us knowing better, being like, oh, she's just projecting all of her thoughts onto this one guy that she thinks is the god of war. So, like, that's what it felt like to me. Mm -hmm. Didn't work as well for me, but that's okay. Okay. Um, So what other... What other issues do we have with structure, or what other um, compliments do we have for it, rather? Um, this is a compliment, but the whole no man's land sequence was perfection. I agree. Yeah, I also agree. Definitely, definitely the standout scene of the entire movie, um, and the scene that everyone has been talking about too. Oh uh, yeah, totally. Which because it has that emotional resonance of it becoming it being diana becoming wonder woman and also just like representative of a lot of women's struggles in that it's kind of on the nose because like it's no man's land only women can walk it but also the fact that you know she has been rejected and um told that she cannot do this for the whole movie and she just completely does does not listen to them and does what she wants nevertheless she persisted. Yep. Exactly. Um, it's a wonderful scene. And it's really fascinating because the um, Warner Bros. executives wanted to cut originally. And Patty Jenkins fought for it to be kept in the movie. Because um, the executives apparently didn't get it. Um, but for Patty Jenkins, it was very important that this was like the moment, the pivotal moment for Diana and her transformation to Wonder Woman. To keep going with your Disney princess parallel, it's part of your world, which exactly. Disney wanted to cut. It's and then Howard Ashman and Glenn Keane fought for that sequence. It's the reprise, actually. You know the "I Want" song. It's oh no, the no, no, no! What I'm saying is oh, yeah, like yeah. they wanted to literally cut part of your world from the movie. Right, right, right. And Howard Ashman and Glenn Keane had to be like, "No, this is where you fall in love with Ariel." Like, you have to keep this in. And from then on, every Disney princess movie had an I Want song. It's beautiful. Which is not unique to Disney, we should no. say. It's not unique that's to a, Disney. It's a Broadway thing. It's a Broadway thing. Yes. But that's why Howard Ashman, who's a Broadway baby, when he came into Disney, he introduced the I Want song from his Broadway roots mm-hmm. to Disney. Exactly. That's a little Disney backstory for you all. For more Disney backstory, you guys should watch <laughs> uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is a wonderful documentary about the Disney renaissance in the animated era. I watch that whenever I want to watch something that feels like a warm hug. It's such a great movie. Okay, back anyway. to Wonder Woman. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, characters. My favorite parts. So I think the characters in Wonder Woman really stood out for me more so than a lot of other superhero movies. Um, I felt especially that 
even the supporting characters, like Diana's little group of Howling Commandos, were a lot stronger than the first Avenger Howling Commandos. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, I felt like the Howling Commandos, because they were they had comic book counterparts, they felt very comic booky and flat, almost stereotypical. Uh, whereas here um, in Wonder Woman, they all felt very fleshed out, despite not having backstories that you completely learned about. It's like what will be mentioned earlier: the "we all are, we are all fighting our own battles" comment that Samir said. I think that Wonder Woman really touched on um, these characters' backstories without too much exposition and allowing us to fill in the blanks. Um, it really is. I kind of spoke about this earlier in my slash film podcast, but <laughs> it feels, it reminded me a lot of um, Mad Max Fury Road's use of story and how they introduce their characters who aren't extremely fleshed out when you first meet them, but through little ticks or quirks or little tells, you can kind of learn more about their character and fill it out for yourself and it doesn't treat the audience as stupid and it lets you really learn about these characters without having to take too much time from the movie to focus on them so and 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 every character is very distinguished and like you can't you have to like be specific when you when you describe her how her set of howling commandos mm -hmm. i know we use that term just because it's the same it's bas they're basically the same people mm -hmm. that steve had but they're not but that's the thing is they're not they have very distinguished personalities and mm -hmm. backgrounds like and you get it you get it all very well done like you know there's moments where they're around a campfire and they just learn a bit about each other and mm -hmm. you know and at some point you hear steve kind of telling the end of the story of diana to i think is uh, it samir it was, it was ewan bremer's character Right, the um, guy from Train Spotting. Yes, <laughs> who is basically playing Spud again in this movie, but that's fine. <laughs> but in World War One, yes. so it's very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, so he's basically like retelling like the very last like moments. It, it's like yeah, and then we were on a beach, and now we're here, and and he was like, that's wild, mm -hmm. and he was like, yeah, man. <laughs> um, and there was like a whole like conversation about um Chief and his. Um, background and how he had to basically flee to Europe to make a living and then when Diana asked why uh, he said because my people were slaughtered and he and she goes by who and then he lets he points to Chris Pine goes his people and I thought that was a very powerful moment yeah because it was it said so much in so little exactly that's what I was trying to say in so many words it says so much but so little <laughs> Um, with especially like, uh, oh gosh, I forgot Ewan Bremner's character's name, but with his PTSD, he's a sharpshooter, but he can't shoot. Um, it also, it reminds me of that character in Magnificent Seven who has... Ethan Hawke's character. Yeah, Ethan yeah. Hawke's character who has the same issue. Um, and it's, it's so telling because you're like, oh, it, it, it already tells you his entire story that he, you know, saw something traumatizing and he is very sym sympathetic, but he cannot, you know get over this trauma that he once, what, that this unspoken, unspoken trauma that he once experienced. Um, Samir's character, and, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's even deeper than that, because if, when you, when you first, when you're first introduced to him, 
Chris Pine tells Diana that he's a sharpshooter and a sniper, so he shoots from far away so he can't see his targets. Mm-hmm. She thought that was very dishonorable. And then when you learn that he can't shoot, you realize that even though he can't see his enemy, he's still terrified by what he does, mm-hmm. by what he did and what he's seen. Exactly. So it's like this like triple layer of of that shell shock storytelling right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's basic. Peels back too. the layers. It peels back all the layers, like mm-hmm. like like how the, all the characters are like onions. Mm-hmm. No Willoughby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm talking about the supporting characters. But my definitely Steve Trevor really shined the most in this movie, out aside from Diana, of course. But um, I yeah, really, we should know that Diana is the best. She is the yeah. best. She is number we'll one. Get we'll get yeah, to her after I far. talk about Steve. Um, but I really liked how he was both a narrative equal and a just a character equal to Diana. So not only was he as complex and as flawed as her, he also had his own little arc, uh, like Willoughby was saying earlier, that went on throughout the movie and that was informed by his past experiences as well as his meeting Diana and her changing him for the better. And he also changes Diana for the better. Yeah, through the power of love. And I know a lot of people have criticized Wonder Woman for for hinging a lot on this power of romantic love. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think romantic love is powerful, but it's only an extension of the love that Diana eventually feels for all of humankind, and that's embodied through her relationship with Steve Trevor. So, yes, my defense of the sort of anti-feminism. Like the of humanity. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Steve is absolutely a standout, and I think should put to rest the fact that Chris Pine is the best Chris. Exactly. Stop arguing about this now. He's the best Chris. He's always been the best Chris. People just wouldn't realize it. Anyway, I have a lot of feelings about Chris Pine because he's so great. He is. Um, And Steve Trevor is so wonderful. I think one of the things I really love about his relationship with Diana, going off what you were saying, HT, is that it feels so organic and mature. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I really like the scene when they're in the town and she, and you basically realize that they sleep together. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it wasn't something that, like, they made a big deal of. It was just two adults making a mutual decision together that they have these feelings between one another and they want to share them. And it was as simple and as wonderful as that. And I really liked that because it just kind of showed that their relationship just was so it just flowed so naturally mm-hmm. between them and I mean of course it was also the callback to the boat scene yes which is a wonderful scene the but improvised just, boat scene yes yes and yeah I agree I think Steve is just a lovely gent and I'm the, quite fond of him and then after they sleep together their relationship hasn't changed and he doesn't change the way he talks to her or or you know they he's not suddenly super overprotective of her like he it's basically you know like standard as usual and it, that's what i found really great was that it wasn't like they have sex and now they're you know now diana has no power and steve has like everything which is a lot of a lot of times the trope in a lot of movies and tv shows mm-hmm. and i like that 
you know, she was still Diana and he was still Steve and like they had a push and pull and they had arguments over how to do war. But at the end of the day, the fact that they slept together didn't, I mean, it obviously they consummated the relationship, but it didn't change the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also get really annoyed because people, we've talked a lot about like, you know, people telling Diana no and like how she ignores them and stuff. And I get really annoyed when people try and like pin that on Steve as a flaw of his character because while there's, well, part of it is kind of stemmed from like, she's a woman. That's really only at the beginning when he quickly realizes that she is far more than capable of taking care of herself. Mm. And whenever he tells her no, throughout the movie it's because he has his own mission mm-hmm. and he doesn't want her to compromise his mission right and i find that really interesting it has nothing to do with her gender it's i'm trying to do my part in the war and i don't want you risking that for me because like the whole thing about no man's land when he says don't know diana we have to keep moving because he's on a timetable and he's he's doing his own thing mm-hmm. whereas she sees a, a town in need separate from the mission exactly. basically a side quest and she clicks a to accept the side quest and goes on without him yeah yeah so i just think they're great together and i love how they were developed they and, they, and steve has the best line you know i can save today but you could save the world oh man it's so good see my, so line, my favorite line of his is actually maybe it's not what we deserve maybe it's about what we believe yeah I love that line because it nails the central thesis of this movie, which is Diana learns that humans may not be deserving of the protection of the gods, but they just need to, she just needs to believe in the best in them. I love that. I want to cry again, guys. And she chooses love over hate. I know. I love it. And like, he's the one, she's the one who taught him how to believe because up, up until then he was this disillusioned compromising world wary agent who you know always put the mission above the little people and in this case she taught him to believe in the best in people um just as he taught her how to accept the flaws in humankind it's so beautiful i have a different read of steve but ooh, well i just don't i don't i don't see him as the cynical world weary person that you're describing okay because the thing is steve for me that mission has always been about saving like saving lives like steve does believe in humanity like that's why he's so intent on this mission is he wants to stop this like he wants to stop this like endless slaughtering of human lives Mm -hmm. i agree that like she kind of like i don't want to say makes him see the little people because i feel like he's always seen them but Mm -hmm. he's always been like he's very realistic right he's like i can't save everyone so like i'm gonna do this thing that will save the most people and you know, I can't save everyone. But if he if he tells himself save everyone, that's never gonna happen, and he's gonna it's gonna be impossible for him. Right. And okay. now that he so, and then he met Diana, and then he realized that he can save the day, but she can save the rest. Right. Pragmatic, yeah, so I like, think, is the I, word I'm going for because it was up until a point that he wanted to save people, but he had to compromise at certain. Yeah. Because I mean, it's very telling that your favorite quote that Steve says it. Mm-hmm. That Steve's like it's what we believe because Steve does believe in humanity and he yeah. does believe in creating a better world. See, I thought I, I saw that as a catharsis for him because he was coming to that realization just as he was telling Diana that he's like maybe it's about 
believing because like he was just yeah, kind of it, it, at that it did point feel didn't like know. he was going on like a face journey yeah with that. he was going on a face journey that's true so yeah I agree with you to an extent but I think that Diana really had an influence on him in terms of like his own values and how he approached something as um, insurmountable as war um, so let's get to Diana the best and brightest character oh I do want to give a shout out to other characters too. Uh, and we talk about the Amazons. Yes, the Amazons, who we did not get enough of, I think. Um, but I Antiope was amazing. Robin Wright's character. She stole the movie in the, I think, 10 minutes that she appeared in it. But she was the classic um, sort of guidance figure. I don't want to say father figure because... The mentor. <laughs> yeah, but she was the mentor who who got killed at the uh, towards the beginning and helped spur Diana on her journey. But the Obi-Wan was, Kenobi character. Yes, essentially. But she was amazing and so badass. And um, really brutal, actually. Like, it's really interesting because she was so much more brutal than Diana was. And Diana still retained that naivete despite being essentially raised by this woman who was very... Um, intense. Intense, Yeah. Yeah, I will say one of the downsides to the movie, for me at least, was that once you left, like, Themyscira was amazing. Mm -hmm. I cried during scenes on Themyscira just because I was so overwhelmed by the fact that it was all women and they were women of color and I knew it was directed by a woman. Mm -hmm. And I just got very overwhelmed by, like, seeing that with my own two eyes. Um, Themyscira was amazing. I agree, we need more. I don't think they could have had more in this film. I don't yeah. think it would have worked logistically, but, like, prequel, please. Um, and <laughs> type all prequel. Justice League movies going forward, please, and just mm -hmm. the Amazons. Yep. Um, but I will say, once you left Themyscira, there was definitely, like, a dearth of female characters, for me at least, and especially women of color, mm -hmm. I think was noticeable. And I also think, especially for me queer women mm. um, because Antiope's second there was a lot of subtext that they were in a relationship mm -hmm. and I just wish that that had been made explicit not they didn't have to say anything but like just have a shot of them you know and I think it just would have been nice to kind of go there yeah, I mean, I assume that there were a lot of same-sex relationships um, happening on Themyscira. I do also wish that there were more text than subtext because there was a lot. There were a lot of hilarious male critics who were like, "Oh, this sexless paradise island," and I'm like, "No, they were probably yeah. having sex somewhere." Yeah, <laughs> Just and like, they're all women. Team. Yeah, and like the way, like the way she, like when she, like screamed and ran over when Antiope was shot. Mm -hmm. Like it definitely. Pretty it, it like it was obvious for me but like yeah it was very loaded yeah and I just I kind of wish that they had just gone there mm -hmm. because it, it definitely felt sort of like I don't think it would have felt shoehorned in if they had just kind of it had just been naturally just kind of in the shot the way they touched one another if they even kissed like mm -hmm. and I kind of wish that we weren't so afraid to just let that happen 
Well, you know, when we make a big deal out of LeFou being gay when it was just a single scene of him dancing with another male, I don't know if that'll happen anytime soon in a superhero movie, unfortunately. It's so frustrating because LeFou's arc was actually fine, and Bill Condon just shouldn't have made a big deal out of it to begin with. Yeah, that was the problem. Because it was fine in the movie. It was good. Yeah. But, like, they, they had to blow it up. And, like, mm-hmm. I wish that had been Wonder Woman and they just would have let the Amazons... I would have loved that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would have been great. But WB, I don't think they would have allowed it, especially if they didn't. If they if they almost if they wanted to cut the No Man's Land sequence, I don't think they would have gone for it, which is a bummer. Well, hopefully, in Wonder Woman two, they'll have more trust in Patty Jenkins, and yeah. uh, give her more reign because they definitely did not have that much trust in Wonder Woman going Wonder Woman going in, which is unfortunate. No. But I'm glad that they. Were proved wrong, even though they're getting all the money. So. They didn't remember. They they forgot they had a movie coming out until like two weeks before. Yep, essentially when people started complaining. <laughs> so. much. All right, let's get to Diana. So, uh, I'm gonna say it. I love Diana. I think that I love that she is so. I think I touched on this before, but I love that she is so flawed, despite being a character who was raised to be a basically a goddess um, and who embodies all these attributes of being a powerful woman with all these powers. Um, she still has a misunderstanding of reality, which makes her more interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of have touched a lot, a lot on what I love about Diana and why she's so such a fascinating character, but I love that she's compassionate and that this movie reaffirms her compassion. But I also love that she's willing to kill. Yes. Because that's what makes her, as someone who loves Superman with my entire beating heart, um, and I like Superman's no-kill rule because it really works for Superman, Mm -hmm. but I like that Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's very similar to Superman in terms of their compassion for humanity Mm -hmm. and their just moral goodness at their core. But Wonder Woman, unlike Superman, is ruthless. Yes. She's compassionate and ruthless. And I like that Patty Jenkins shows that, like, being compassionate and being sensitive does not have to negate your ruthlessness. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes Wonder Woman, and especially her depiction in the film, so powerful, is that she can destroy, and she can also build. And it makes sense to how she was raised, too, because she was raised on an island of warrior women. She grew up always wanting to fight, even though she was sheltered by her mom. And uh, her black-and-white mentality of the world lends to that ruthlessness of... She will. She doesn't want to kill you, but she will if she has to. Will exactly. Be. I loved Gal Gadot's performance as Wonder Woman. I thought she was incredible. Like I've seen her in Fast and Furious movies and previous uh, DC movie. She was she was the highlight of Batman versus Superman, and she was always fun in the Fast and Furious movies. She always has such a presence, and so the fact that she led this movie, it was so, she did it so effortlessly. You know, I thought that she carried her, her, her performance so well. And like the way that, you know, she knew this character inside and out. And 
I love the moment where she discovers she can jump very far and she lands on the wall of the tower where all her like Wonder Woman gear is and she realizes that she can like break bricks with her hands and she gives this like great little smile and she's like oh yeah I can do it's this the and then she that just she had in, in Batman v Superman exactly like she's she takes in the world and she you know has fun with it not only Diana but also Gal Gadot like she's like it's not a lifeless performance and it's very much the heart of the movie and like her reactions to Chris Pine and all the other characters were so great because it's like she's reacting to you know Diana's reacting to these to the world for the first time and you really see that in Gal Gadot's performances and you're like the the moment when 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 Steve takes her out of the um the generals meeting and then just and says we're gonna go you know disobey their orders and she was like you were lying and he was like yeah I'm a spy I do that and and she's like how do I know that you're not telling the truth right now and he whips out the lasso of truth and wraps it around his wrist I thought that was a perfect moment that encapsulates both their characters and mm-hmm. Diana you can tell that she's stunned that he lied and then and then gets it you know mm-hmm. she like picks up on the fact that why he had to do that and I thought that was a great bit of acting so it was a great face journey that she goes through in that scene oh it's so perfect <laughs> and and so you know and she has all Diana has all these moments where she has to make decisions about what she's going to do and she just does everything and you know you, you can tell that Gal Gadot was having so much fun with this role. So I'm 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 so glad this movie exists. So actually Gal Gadot really surprised me with this movie because I remember being on the fence with her depiction in Batman v Superman um before her battle scene. That's when she really sold me. But right. in that movie she was just kind of slinking around being very spy-like, and didn't feel to me very true to Wonder Woman. Is that her, or is that Zack Snyder and Stephen Goyer? That could also be the, the case. I don't think it's fair to pin that on. I'm not, I'm not pinning it. I'm just saying that's, that was why I had my reservations. But I read an interesting article after Wonder Woman came out that makes that says that, this, that Wonder Woman kind of rewrites her behavior in that movie. Because essentially what she's looking for while she's thinking around is she's trying to find that picture that she and Steve and the other Howling Commandos took um, in the town of Veld after their first victory. And um, it's it basically suggests that she is not trying to hide her identity as you presume when in Batman v Superman, but that she's just trying to reconnect like find the love of her life again find her first love and try to bring him back to her because in the end of wonder woman she thanks bruce for saying by saying thank you for bringing him back to me and i think that like it is much more in character that she's just trying to just trying to discover just trying to recover rather this picture instead of and just kind of like the whole Batman and Superman thing is happening on the side, and she's just like, I don't really care. I'm not involved until, you know, Doomsday drops down and threatens the whole world, and she's like, okay, I guess I'm going to fight. Yeah. I think that's a nice little rewriting of her role in Batman v Superman. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
It's all about love, guys. It is. True it's love. all about love. Love. True love. That's why Superman should be wonderful, and yet he's not. This is the movie that Superman on. wanted to be. That's the thing, is that this movie proves that Man of Steel could have been so much better. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of movies prove that Man of Steel could have been better. I just look at but, Superman. But, but in specifically, the fact that in this universe, they could still have a character that has so much hope and ability to save people. Mm-hmm. Like, Pa Kent in Man of Steel is Do the not. worst father. Is the worst father. I hated that scene and so much. He should not have given him any advice. He should have just. He should not know, have given any advice. <laughs> like, let Superman judge what he wants to do. Because now he's all conflicted about what should him, I do to save these mere he mortals. He really gave and, him t- terrible life advice. Like, don't save people, save yourself. Like, what kind of life advice is that? People always, people always bring up that scene, which is terrible, but it's Pa Kent's death in Man of Steel. Yeah, no, like, that too. Makes me that too. So angry. The whole thing it's is terrible. Whereas you have with Wonder Woman, like, she doesn't ever have, I mean, she has conflict, but she's never conflicted about saving mortals, saving humans. Like, she's, that's what she's supposed to do. Like, her biggest flaw is that she's stubborn and bullheaded and won't listen to anyone. But that's also what makes her so endearing. Like, her, these, um, these superheroes, like, the DC superheroes, their weaknesses are their compassion. Mm-hmm. It's how the villains exploit them. They take their their sidekicks and their lovers and they bring them to like a warehouse and say, we're going to shoot Lois Lane in the head unless you give us what they want. And Superman's like, I'm not going to deal with that. So like, <laughs> it's there's so much missing from these movies that hopefully this means it's a course correction. Yeah. It might be a little late for that just because this movie was such a surprise to Warner Bros. And they yeah. already have a couple movies in development which are probably going to follow the Snyder way, um, although we our thoughts go out to Zack Snyder and his family. Um, but, yeah, so I don't know how much of a change we'll see soon. Yeah. Although that, Joss Whedon's Batgirl is coming out. Um, it's next in development, as well as uh, David Ayer is going to be taking the reins over the Gotham City Sirens, which is not going to does not sound like a great idea. I think more than anything, though, we're never going to see a course correction for Superman in this universe, and that's what kills me the most, is because he's, mm. my favorite of the, he's my favorite of the Holy Trinity. But what if, what if we get, I guess, kind of spoilers for, or conjecture for um, Justice League? What if Superman comes back as the alternate version of Superman, who comes from the happy place, the oh, happy so you're universe? Telling me, you're telling me Brandon Routh comes back? Just like, he's not the dull, sad, brooding Superman that has been raised in this Earth, but he's from the happy Earth. Oh, so you're implying... You want, instead of New 52 Superman, you want original Superman, like he did Rebirth. Rebirth Superman. You're implying that Zack Snyder, A, understands Superman, and B, likes Superman, which Zack Snyder decidedly does not. And therefore, I can't have He also doesn't understand... Batman. And that's another problem, too. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Either way, <laughs> Wonder Woman's great, and I have some hope that Justice League will be better than Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> Anya, do you have any other final thoughts on Wonder Woman? 
She's wonderful. And I said, my favorite of the Trinity is Superman, but since he has been effectively ruined in this universe, One Roman is my new go-to for goodness. Um, mostly since we haven't really had Barry Allen yet, who's my number one in the Justice League, but who knows what's happening with his movie. That's a mess. Um, <laughs> hey, so we Roman thought that is... this movie was a mess, so... No, no, I no, I mean the fact that. that Flash has lost, like, three directors. Yeah, but, yeah, like, Wonder Woman nice. also had some trouble behind the scenes uh, leading up to it, so... Who knows? Fair. Um, but I am just really happy that we have a hero who is good, um, because as is well documented on here, I like my very square heroes. I love my heroes who believe in goodness for the sake of goodness and don't really have any of that moral conflict. Um, More Superman, way less Batman. So I really like that we have a hero who is good and believes in hope and that it's not... that it's done very earnestly and it really lands and that the people making this film really believed in that and believed in the message they were sending with Wonder Woman because I think people make the mistake too often that good characters are either boring or hard to write or not interesting and I think that is a fundamental misunderstanding of characters like One Roman and like Superman and like Captain America and so I'm just very happy to have this kind of positive hopeful hero all right, I think that's a wonderful way to wrap up our review of Wonder Woman. Oh, how many stars would each of you give Wonder Woman out of five stars? Willoughby. Four. HT. I'll give it a 4.5. Ooh. I really liked Wonder Woman. I know it's not a perfect movie, but it really affected me. I'm going to go with HT and give it a 4.5, even though I had some problems with it structurally. it The inspiration I got from it, it, it can't be measured. And so I'm going to knock it up to that 4.5. All right. And that comes out to a 4.3 from the Millennial Falcon. Yay! All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. All right. Anya, why don't you tell us what you really like this week? So to continue the theme of superheroes, on Friday night, we got our very first look at Ryan Coogler's Black Panther movie. And it looks stellar it looks so good the whole cast is incredible Chadwick Boseman, Michael E. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o Angela Bassett it it looks so good the cast is great the whole world of Wakanda looks amazing the action, the aesthetic it was just so thrilling like I felt like I was like buzzing when I watched the trailer because it was so exciting and I really love Chadwick Boseman in Civil War. I think he was a big standout in Civil War as T'Challa. And I think T'Challa fits one of those tropes for me that, like, Thor really fits for me, is the idea of a good man becoming king and becoming a leader and possessing power and what does a good person do with that. Um, Can a good person lead and have that much power? 
And they touched on that a little bit in Civil War, and I'm excited to see it explored more in Black Panther. And I am just so excited for this film. I feel like for a little bit there, I was having a bit of superhero fatigue. I was starting, it was starting to hit me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Wonder Woman and with Black Panther coming out, and hopefully with Captain Marvel, fingers crossed for my girl Carol Danvers, that we have some really exciting times ahead of us for superheroes and especially diversity in our superhero films. So I am super into the Black Panther trailer. Can't wait for the movie. It's going to be really great. Yay. Yeah, the trailer looks so colorful and bright, which is actually a bit different than the Marvel um, palette, usually. It's quite, it's quite a gray. Not as desaturated as the DC Universe movies are, but they're not particularly colorful compared to like the black what we've seen in the Black Panther trailer. Um, but yeah, I am excited as well. That looks gorgeous. Willoughby, what is yes. your really like for this week? Oh, a little TV show on HBO called The Leftovers, um, produced by our guy Damon Lindelof. Um, his show he did after Lost. Uh, I really, 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 really liked it. Um, I watched all three seasons. The finale was just over a week ago. And it, at the beginning of the third season, eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago now, I was like, I should really watch this show because it's coming to an end and people have just been singing its praises basically since the start of the second season. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I watched the first season and I watched the second season and I was like, I really like this. Like this has a lot to say about grief and a lot to say about belief and not so much science versus faith, but more just faith versus non-faith. Um, you know, with Lost, Damon, Damon Lindelof liked to explore that whole I- idea behind belief and believe belief in others and belief in, in a higher power, or, you know, and what that is. You know, it's very interesting and very evocative. And this show goes places. And this show is really... It gets it gets real wild. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it gets to a level of polar bear on the middle of an island, but it explains it more. And, you know, it's more. You know, you kind of go. You, you you know, you see something wild, and you, you just kind of go with it, and you, you think about it. Its implications later, because like the whole premise of the show, if I haven't said that yet, it's two percent of the world's population, 180 million people vanish off the face of the earth. Sort of like the rapture in biblical times, you know, but no one can explain how or why these people left and where they went and why these people left and who they were. And like, you know, there's the whole new like U.S. department is set up to explain the departure, as it's called, mm. you know. And, you know, the, the show takes place a couple of years after the actual event. So you see life keep going. And you think that 2% of the world's population isn't a lot, but it really is. Like, everyone is affected by this. Um, even if it's just one person in their family leaving, like, that still is that still has an effect on a family. And it's basically, like, the whole world is grieving for these people that, that are lost. <laughs> um, and 
it's really fascinating character study. Justin Thoreau is great in it. He's like extraordinary, like beyond belief. I didn't realize he could be that good. And Carrie Coon is really great. She was in Gone Girl. She was Margot. Um, she's also in Fargo she's, this year. She's she's also in Fargo. She's she's really like doing things now. Like Gone Girl was her first movie, her first real on-screen acting gig. She was in theater for a lot of for a lot, but Leftovers is, is, is was her first TV show, um, or like as a lead. And so she's phenomenal in it. Like the whole cast is great. It's such a well acted show well produced the 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 music choices are sublime like amazing like i every time a new song hits i'm like okay this makes sense it's also it's also a banger so (laughs) it was a lot of fun um you know you guys both love lost i think you would really like the leftovers it's on my list Uh, yeah like i know ht specifically we were talking about it on twitter this is totally up your alley is something you should watch. So it's only 28 episodes. It's great. All right. So yeah, the leftovers. Thanks, Willoughby. I I'm gonna check it out. I swear. <laughs> That's my problem. Alright. So my really like this week is my hair. <laughs> In a, my hair. Your what? My hair. Your hair. My hair. So I dyed my hair bright pink this year, this week and I have been loving it. Uh, Willoughby this, uh, at the start of this episode was like, I didn't know Ramona Flowers is joining us. <laughs> Brought back that joke. But yeah, I am really excited. It's a really short really like. I'm just happy to dye my hair. I This is my first time dyeing it such a bold color. I've only really kind of dyed it a little bit red before, but I haven't bleached it. So I have to bleach my hair several times because I have really dark black hair. And it shows wonderfully. It's like becoming this light pink color. And um, I'm hoping to turn it into a rose gold ombre at some point. If you guys know what that means. Um, but yeah. We're a millennial that, podcast. Of course yeah, we we're do. I know that rose gold is the color of an iPhone. Exactly. I'm going to, as soon as it turns the color I want, I'm going to hold a, a rosé. Wear some rose colored glasses. And show off my rose gold hair. Yes. I'm all about that. <laughs> on brand. Yes, so into it. Yeah, speaking of millennials and brand, apparently millennial pink is a thing. I, di- I had the idea of dyeing my hair long before that became a trend, whatever it is. So, take that trend articles. O-G-H-T. Exactly. With the pink. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. I like it. All right. So, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Wonder Woman or The Leftovers or Black Panther or trying out new hairstyles, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter if you uh, search in there at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Our SoundCloud is Millennial Falcon Podcast. We're also on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Where can they find you guys? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dogs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.